Father, thank you that uh, we're reminded at this time of year exactly what it cost you to come to this earth on our behalf. You certainly didn't have to do that. And yet you chose to do that out of your great love for us. You didn't need us, but boy, we needed you. And we still need you. And so I say thank you for all that you've done for us in the coming of Jesus Christ, not only his birth, but his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And we recognize that it is through that that we have access into the very presence of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Uh, Speak to our hearts this morning. Help us to recognize the call that you have on our lives as your children to be your witnesses wherever we find ourselves. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, last week uh, we lit the what was called the hope candle. <clears throat> it was one of the uh, purple candles, and it really stood for the hope that the prophets had in the coming of God's Messiah, that uh, one day in the Old Testament, it was prophesied, one day Jesus Christ would come, the Messiah, who would come and deliver his people from their sins. So today we come to the second of the, the Advent candles, and it's the, uh, the faith candle. Again, it's, a number, it's the, uh, one of the purple candles, and it really stands for the faith. Get it going here. There we go. The faith of Mary and Joseph. You realize... What a tremendous act of faith it was for them to uh, allow God to work out His plan through their lives. And they had to have a lot of faith in that. I'm reminded of, of how Mary responded when the angel Gabriel appeared to her. And the angel uh, said to her these words, says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb <coughs> and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Now listen to Mary's response. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason... The holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your words. That's a word of faith. Mary said, God, whatever you want. I am available and I am willing. And so the uh, second Advent candle is the faith candle, sometimes called the Mary and Joseph candle, really to remind us of the faith that they had to exhibit in God's plan and how they had a part in what God was going to do. Well, let's get into God's Word together as we, uh, as we study this morning. You know... Um, Sometimes, <coughs> excuse me, I feel like um, we're caught in Groundhog Day. Remember that movie? Um, 
we're just all hunkered down, bunkered down in our, in our little holes, and every once in a while, we think the coast is clear, and we, we kind of sally forth, you know, whether we got a mask on or not, it doesn't really matter. And then an alarm sounds, and what do we do? We run back, and we get back into our, into our groundhog hole, and uh, we're hunkered down for another round of isolation. And I think the result, and I've, we've talked about this before, but I think the result of all this uh, distancing and staying home and uh, limiting social gatherings, I mean, really, if you think about it, just living life today, the result of all of that is that... Uh, I think that we have lost sight of our world beyond our little pig paths that we go in, or our own little community in which, in which we isolate. Uh, and as Christians, even more critically, I think that we have lost sight of what, it, what the kingdom of God really means. You know, the gospel writer tells us that Jesus, when he came, came proclaiming the kingdom of God. Uh, the kingdom of God, folks, is simply the rule and reign of God as sovereign Lord over everything. And, and when we talk about the kingdom of God, really we talk about it in, in, there are two aspects to the kingdom of God. There's the reign of God over his kingdom, and there is the realm of God, uh, of his kingdom, of, of God's kingdom. The reign conveys the, the fact that God exerts authority sovereignty over everything, over his subjects, over his, his kingdom. You know, God's reign extends over all things. Uh, the Bible tells us that he's universally sovereign over the nations, over humankind, over the angels, over the, the dominion of darkness and all of its inhabitants, that he is sovereign Lord over the cosmos, over uh, individual believers, and he's sovereign Lord over the church. The word realm suggests location. And God's realm is universal. The realm of God's kingdom is worldwide. It's everywhere. That, in other words, there isn't a place on, in this world, or for that matter, in this universe, where God's kingdom doesn't extend. And, and part of our continual self-centeredness as, as human beings and, and always looking inward, folks, is the fact that we forget and for that matter, we ignore the far-reaching aspect of God's reign and God's realm on this earth. And sometimes we need to be motivated uh, to get out of our bunkers and get into the, the realm and the reign of God's kingdom. That is, we need to be motivated to move from the church into the kingdom of God in this world. You know, the same was true with the disciples. On those days following Christ's resurrection, <clears throat> after his resurrection, Jesus had to help those disciples to really come to understand that they had a very narrow focus of the kingdom of God, and he needed to expand that focus. I'm going to pick up reading in Acts chapter 1, <clears throat> in verse 6. Look what it says here. It says, so when they had come together, and that's talking about the disciples and, and the resurrected Jesus when they had come together, they were asking him, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? You might want to underline those words, to Israel. Is it at this time you are restoring your kingdom to Israel? Now, let me stop right there. See, the disciples here had a very narrow view of the concept of the kingdom of God. Uh, they saw 
the, the, the realm of the kingdom as being localized in Judea and in and Galilee. And they saw the reign of God's kingdom as only over the Jewish people. And Jesus had to correct this. And so look at verse 7. Jesus said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed for His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. How often do we find ourselves concerned only with that which is local in our lives? Uh, We have a pretty narrow focus. However, folks, what I want you to know is that God's plan has always been global. He's always been interested in the entire world. Uh, In fact, listen to the marching orders that Jesus gave to those who would follow him. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he said, he told him this. He said, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. You might want to circle those words, all the world and the word everyone. Uh, That means that there is no limit to where we're to go to proclaim the kingdom. There is no one who's to be left behind at all. The realm of God's kingdom extends everywhere and to everyone. And here are the disciples, and they're asking, Lord, is it time? Is it time now? You know, in other words, they were asking, when are you going to come back? And when are you going to establish this earthly kingdom? A very narrow viewpoint from their standpoint. You know, and look what Jesus said to them. Basically, he said to them, guys, it's none of your business. Instead, you get busy and go everywhere and tell everybody about me. I I think that the disciples maybe had forgotten some very critical teaching that Jesus had given earlier in his teaching ministry. Over in Mark chapter 13, uh, Jesus is he's talking about the end of time, when, he, when he's going to return, when the world is going to end. And he makes this statement. He said, for the good news must first be preached to all the nations. The good news must first be preached to all the nations. This verse really contains a marker that that really lets us know how imminent Christ's return is. See, Christ is not going to return until the good news is preached to all the nations. That word nations there in the Greek language is the word ethnos. We get our word ethnic from it. And those who study demographics sociologists who who look at at these kind of things, that word ethnos means a gathering of people who have a similar nature and genus. In other words, what we're talking about here is a people group. That's the the current terminology that, that demographics uses to talk about people who, first of all, they have a common language, they have a common culture, they have a common sense of identity, and most likely are in a common location. And so it's a people group. And currently there are 11,945 identified people groups in our world. And Jesus is saying that the gospel needs to reach every one of those people groups. And when it does, then he will return. Then the end will come. So are we there yet? No, not yet. Not yet. Uh, According to some strategic research 
that was done by the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, we still have 7,321 people groups that are considered unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What that means is they're less than 2% of the population that identify as followers of Jesus Christ. But even more than that, even more poignant is the fact that in, out of that number, there are 3,180 people groups that are considered both unreached and unengaged, meaning that there is no one in that people group or to that people group that's sharing the gospel. Uh, nobody in that people group has ever even heard the name Jesus Christ, and they have no prospect in their lifetime that they will ever hear the name of Jesus Christ. Now, some good news is that that number of 7,300 and, uh, or excuse me, 3,180 is down from 10 years ago. 10 years ago, there were 3,724 people groups that were considered unengaged and, and, and unreached. And another part of the good news is at least now we know who these people groups are. You've got here on the screen a, 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 a email address, I mean, a web address, peoplegroups.org. I implore you, go look at that, explore that, spend some time looking at that. That identifies all of these uh, 3,180 people groups that need to hear the name of Jesus Christ. So we know about them. And you know, the problem is that most Christians mistakenly assume that the responsibility for taking the, the good news of Jesus Christ to these people groups falls to missionaries or, or, or maybe pastors. But folks, the Bible is very clear in pointing out that the Great Commission to go and to tell is for every believer. It's your job as well as my job to proclaim Jesus Christ to our Jerusalem, to our uh, Samaria, to our Galilee, to our ends of the earth. So this is not something that's just for super saints or for missionaries or for pastors. Every one of us is called to be on mission for Jesus Christ. You know, <clears throat> when Jesus told his followers, I want you to go everywhere and tell everyone the good news of what I have done for them on the cross, when he told them, they were to go to the whole world, I think it was pretty overwhelming to them. I mean, how big is the world and all you can do is you can walk to wherever you're going to go. Or maybe they had donkeys, maybe they had a camel or two, and maybe you could get on a sailing vessel in the Mediterranean. But by and large, it was very difficult to go everywhere and to tell everyone. Today, we've got all sorts of means of transportation and communication, and we've got planes and trains and automobiles, and, and we've got radio and television and cell phones, and we've got the internet, and we've got Zoom calls that you can make and so forth. Suddenly, our world is much, much smaller. I mean, like no other generation, we are able to reach our world very easily all around us. Uh, think about it. You can sit in your pajamas in your bedroom and you can literally take the gospel message around the world to millions and millions of people. So we have tools today that no other generation ever had to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're to take the good news to people everywhere. And <clears throat> I think the exciting thing is that our invitation to be witnesses for Jesus Christ is really an invitation for us to join God in what He's doing around the world. 
God is up to something in our, in our world where he's drawing people to himself. There's some incredible things happening around the world. I'm reminded of what God said to Habakkuk in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. He said, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your day that you would not believe even if you were told. I mean, if there was ever a time when that verse is true, that's true today. What God is doing around the world. Do you realize that Christians worldwide, we number 2.54 billion Christians in the world? 2.54 a billion people, excuse me, with a B, that claim Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's 32% of the world's population identify as followers of Jesus Christ. Christianity is still the largest religion in the world. And, and the church of Jesus Christ is growing explosively in everywhere but, but with the Western world, okay? I mean, the largest growing places of Christianity uh, are in Asia, Sub-Saharan Africa, and in South America. Now, unfortunately, Christianity is on a, a really rapid decline in Europe. Here in North America, it's stagnant. Maybe it's slightly declining. <laughs> the fact is that in our day and time, 60% of the majority of Christianity is in third world countries. Um, and, and so Christians everywhere, they're meeting in brick buildings and living rooms and mud huts and under banana trees and so forth. That's where the church is. But we're, it's growing rapidly all around the world. I mean, for instance, in Brazil, for instance, you know the church is growing at an average of 17 to 20,000 new believers every single week. Isn't that amazing? Uh, China, China, Christianity in China, communist China, is growing at a rate of 10% every year for the last 10 years. Uh, some, uh, some statisticians estimate that to be 20 to 30,000 new believers every single day. That's the moving of God in our world. So everywhere you look in this world, here's, here's Christianity, and it's, it's a mighty army that's on the march with, a, with an unstoppable mission. And the church of Jesus Christ is growing rapidly around the world. That's the good news. The bad news is the growth of Christianity is not keeping up with the growth of world population. We're getting further and further behind. There's 7.9 billion people in the world. That means that 5.36 billion are without Jesus Christ. Uh, let me illustrate this way. Everybody stand up, okay? Everybody stand up. I need you just to, to stand up, all right? This you all represent the population of the world, okay? <clears throat> all of you represent the population of the world. Now, I want about... Uh, a third of you to sit down. So that would be about these two sections here. You all go ahead and sit down. Uh, I'll tell you what, a couple of three of you stand back up. Made my number too small here. Uh, yeah, okay. Mike and you and Nancy and, and Jeff stand, uh, Jeffrey stand up, okay. So these represent the Christians in the world. People who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The rest of you are in that uh, about two-thirds that... Uh, do not know Christ, but here's the good news. Many of you are going to have an opportunity to hear of Christ. 
You've got scriptures in your language. <clears throat> in the place where you live, there are probably some churches that are available. There are Christians that you meet perhaps in the marketplace or in the business world. Uh, there are missionaries that are being sent to you. Um, uh, there, you know, there are people who are working to try to reach you for Jesus Christ. That's really great, okay? Now I want everybody but about 12% to sit down. Let's let these four over here remain standing. Nope, stay standing there, okay? The rest of you can sit down, okay? These are the ones, the 12%, <clears throat> that are the unreached, unengaged group in our world that will never, ever, ever have an opportunity to hear of Jesus Christ. There's no scripture in their language. There's nobody being sent to reach them. There is no church. There's no Christians present in and out of their, of their area, wherever they're living in the world. They have absolutely no hope of ever hearing of Jesus Christ. Even if they wanted to hear of Jesus Christ, they have no choice. Because nobody's sent to them. Nobody's even praying for them. That's sad. Thank you, you can be seated. And yet the reality is that we've got Christians all over this United States who are hunkered down and who've turned inward and they think it's all about me and, and, and my family and, and my, you know, my church and all that. Um, and we've ignored and we've forgotten the globe around us, the global world. Folks, it's time that we as believers move from the church into the kingdom. Because that's what we're commanded to do. See, the problem isn't the harvest, okay? The problem is the lack of harvesters. What did Jesus say in Matthew 9, 37? Jesus said to his followers, there are many people to harvest. Wouldn't you agree with that? but only a few workers to help harvest them. Here's the fact of the matter is that people are ready to receive Jesus Christ. Um, people today are open to the message of Jesus Christ. They're spiritually hungry. I mean, even here in America, 65% of Americans say that they are interested in spiritual matters. Now, they're not interested in church, okay? But they're interested in spiritual matters. And here's a tip for you, okay? When you're trying to share Jesus Christ with somebody, <clears throat> don't talk about church. Church is a turnoff for a lot and a lot of people. Instead, talk about Jesus Christ and relationship with Him. They're hungry for relationship. They're hungry for that which is spiritual. Just don't give them the, the church thing yet, okay? Church is great and it's important. It's vital and it's, it's a part of God's plan. But... They need Jesus more than they need church. Do you agree with me? And, and so there, there's a starting point. And God has given us as believers the privilege of joining Him as He reaches out to these people who are spiritually hungry. <clears throat> Let me remind you of an important truth. Over in Romans chapter 10, God's Word says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we all agree with that, Right? But it also says before a person can call on the name of the Lord, they must believe in Him. And before they can believe in Him, Scripture tells us, somebody must tell them about Jesus. And before somebody can tell them about Jesus, somebody has to be sent to tell them. 
See, that's the calling that Jesus Christ has placed on your life, on your life, on your life, on my life. We're called to tell people about Jesus Christ. And what I want you to know, God didn't bring you here this morning to have your ears scratched, okay? No, He brought you here because He wants to use you as an on-mission Christian. Uh, God is looking for people to use. The, The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth that He may strongly support those whose hearts are completely His. That is, God is looking for people who will say, Me, God, I'll volunteer. I will be your witness to my Jerusalem, to my Samaria, to my Judea, to my in uttermost parts of the earth. And I want to challenge you as a church family, as those of you who are watching online, to say to God, I am willing to be an on-mission Christian, to be used by wherever you want, whenever you want, to whomever you want me to go. I'm yours. I mean, what does it take to be an on-mission Christian? To say, you know, I'm going to be the messenger that God wants me to be, wherever God puts me, you know, in my business, in my work, in my school, in my neighborhood, in my world. No matter how far away from Elko Spring Creek it might take me, I'm willing to be God's representatives. What does it take? I think it takes for us to have a shift in our thinking. In fact, there's got to be five critical shifts that take place in our thinking if we're going to be used by God. Uh, Because everything starts in your mind. Uh, Think about it. If you want to change your behavior, you have to change your feelings, right? And to change your feelings, you have to change the way you think about things. So let me give you five things that will help change your that we need to change in our mind in order to get in on what God is doing in our world. Number one, we've got to shift from thinking uh, from our think. We've got to shift our thinking. Excuse me, from being self-centered to being God-centered. Shift our thinking from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. You know the prevailing attitude today is it's all about me. Wouldn't you agree? It's all about me, and man, I well deserve it, right? Um, I want to make sure that my rights are preserved. It's all about me. Don't step on my turf. Don't, you know, don't upset my apple cart. I'm the center of the universe, and don't you forget it. That's the attitude we have. Contrast that to what God's Word tells us in Philippians 2.4. Don't merely look out for your own interests but also for the interest of others. <clears throat> Let me remind you that your purpose on this earth is to be God's representatives. And as we become more and more like Jesus Christ, as we take on His character in our life, we realize we're not here to be served, but we're here to serve. We're here for others, for their benefit. And so we need to work to focus on others and not just on ourselves. Let me give you some practical tips on how you can do that. Focus on others. First of all, start asking the Holy Spirit to make you sensitive to the spiritual needs of people that you meet each and every day. God's going to bring people in your life who have needs, who have hurts, who have, have things in their life that they need God for. And you need to be sensitive. Ask the Holy Spirit, make me sensitive to what's going on in their life. And so you listen, and, and, and you be sensitive, and you look for openings to minister and to just say words of encouragement. Hey, can I pray with you in that area? You know, I was there once, and, and here's how Jesus helped me. You're sensitive to it. And then second, 
develop the habit of, of praying what I would call breath prayers, where you're talking with somebody and you just un- subconsciously say, God, open his eyes to you. Learn to begin to do that. And so my challenge is for us to learn to start saying to God, I want to be focused on others and not focused on me. A second shift in our thinking needs to be this. We need to uh, shift from thinking only about the local church to the global kingdom. Shift our thinking from the local church to the global kingdom. You know, it's our natural tendency, folks, to be self-centered. That's, that's the essence of our sinful nature, to be self-centered. And because of that, we always seem to have a narrow focus when it comes to sharing our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, uh, we consider our mission field to be, you know, our family, our neighborhood, our, our workplace. My, my, my mission field is Elko at Spring Creek. And yeah, that is a part of your mission field, but it's much larger than that. We, our prayer ought to be that of, that the psalmist pray. May your ways be known throughout the earth, your saving power among people everywhere. So how do you begin to shift your thinking from local to global in this regard? Well, two things. I want to challenge you. Go back to that website, www.peoplegroups.org. And pick out some people groups that you're going to pray for. In fact, get you a map, put it up wherever you have your quiet time each day, and begin praying for the world. You see, kingdom-oriented Christians pray for the world. And uh, prayer is the most important tool that you have to pray for. Here's a people group that I need to pray for. And the next day, here's another people group, and I know where they're located, and and I'm going to pray for them. Prayer is your most important tool in reaching the world for Jesus Christ. You're not going to be able to go to all uh, 7,130 different people groups who need Jesus Christ in person, but you can sure do it in prayer. You can pray for those. What would happen, our group leaders, if your small group, your disciple group, started praying for a people group, and you just prayed very faithfully and very regularly, What could God do in response to your prayers? See, when we pray, that involves God in the process. And so that's one thing that we could do is pray for people groups. Second thing that you can do is uh, another way in which you can touch the nations for Jesus Christ is to give. You can reach through prayer. You can reach through your giving. You know, as a church... We participate in something called the cooperative program. It's, it's a method or a plan of giving where our money that we give on Sunday morning, some of it stays here in, in Elko to help pay for lights and pay for salaries and so forth. But a, a part of it also then goes to national and international agencies of the Southern Baptist Convention so that what you give on Sunday morning presents the gospel message today in Pakistan or in Turkey, or in uh, Peru, or something like that. So we cooperate with other churches together. So as we give on Sunday morning, you're also giving to reach people of Jesus Christ, not only here in Elko and Spring Creek and in Nevada and in the United States, but literally around the world. This is also a time of year when we take up something called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. It's named after a Southern Baptist missionary, Lottie Moon, who gave her life in, in trying to reach the people of China back at the turn of the, of the 20th century, end of the 1900s and into, uh, into the 20th century. 
And every year we take an offering and that money that we give goes directly to the mission field. Um, and so every year we, we collect an offering during the month of December. I, I tell our people, I've told our church for a number of years, we're going to take the Lottie Moon Christmas offering in December and in January. That way you've got two paychecks, maybe three paychecks, maybe four paychecks. You can give something every two weeks toward reaching this world for Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you to do that. You've got information in your bulletin about the Lottie Moon uh, International uh, Christmas offering, and, and so I encourage you to do that. You may not be able to go, but folks, but you can pray and you, and you can give. And then a, a third way in which you can be involved is to go on a short-term mission. My desire for this church has been for all the years that I've been here is that every single one of our members will go on a mission trip at some point in your life. Uh, whether it's to Alaska, whether it's to Mexico, uh, we've sent groups to as close as, as Las Vegas, sent to, to uh, Seattle, we've sent groups into Canada. Uh, we had a group go a couple of years ago to Greece. We've, had, uh, we've got a group, probably I think Jolene is planning to take some people to Tanzania this coming year. And if you're interested in being on a short-term mission, talk to Jolene. Because there are opportunities. Every one of you ought to do that. Talk about changing you from a local focus to a global. Going on a short-term mission project will do that. <clears throat> Third thing, we need to shift our thinking from temporal values to eternal values. Shift from temporal values to eternal values. <clears throat> you see, folks, we're talking about the eternal destiny of billions of people. Uh, that makes a lot of the stuff that we're concerned about just kind of seem irrelevant when you think about it. That there are millions and millions and millions of people who are without Jesus Christ and who are bound for a Christless eternity and that ought to be a priority, and yet we're worried about all sorts of kind of little trivial things, you know. If we come to understand that people really need the Lord, it changes our perspective. Uh, this was really illustrated to me in a very um, dramatic way last Sunday. Uh, conversation was, was a, it wasn't, there wasn't any belligerence here, or any, any kind of, I'm mad and all that kind of thing. But there was a statement made to me that just really conveyed to me the, why we're so caught up in the trivial. I was standing at this door last Sunday and I was helping people to uh, make sure they got the Lord's Supper. You know, we've changed to a, a little wafer in a, in a saran, uh, cellophane wrapper and then the cup is separate from that. And, and uh, making sure everybody got one. And one of our members came in and, and he says, oh, you've got a new deal here because before we had them both packaged together and you had to peel off one layer. And, and I, I told him, I said, yeah, we had some people complaining. They didn't know how to work that other thing. They were always pulling the wrong tab and, and opening and spilling and all that. And I said, and then so we, we changed this to help people so they wouldn't. And, and he looked at me and he said, my son has been sponsoring a young man uh, by the name of Diurge, I hope I pronounced that right, in Ethiopia since he was six years old. Genocide against Christians has broken out in Ethiopia, and this young man is running for his life. His father has already been, already been taken away by the soldiers, and he's trying to make his way to a refugee camp in Kenya. He's running for his life because he's a Christian, and we're worried about communion cups. 
That cut me to the quick. We are so concerned about what are we going to eat for Christmas? What am I going to buy here? What am I going to do there? And we have forgotten that the world out there is going to hell. And, and we're not doing anything about it. Look what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 62. Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. What are we using to distract us from our real purpose here on this, in this world? <laughs> is it our family? Is it our job? Is it our hobby? Is it our retirement plans or, or, or whatever? What is it that is distracting us? Uh, Jesus said, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And I'm begging us, don't trade our life for temporal things. God has bigger things in store for us as individual Christians. Uh, Paul writing in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 4 said this, No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Folks, we are at the army of God. And no one in the army worries about civilian matters. No, all they want to do is be pleasing to their commanding officer. And so we've got to shift from those temporal values to eternal values. And a fourth thought, we've got to shift our thinking from security to serving. Shift from security to service. You know, you're never going to amount to much for God if all you're concerned about is your security. The Bible says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Folks, it is not about being secure. It is about serving God in such a way that it draws people to Jesus Christ and so that they can find hope and they can find eternal life in Him. And, and we're to serve others and tell others about Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we're fulfilling the very purpose that God has placed us here on this earth. And then finally, we've got to shift our thinking from comfort to sacrifice. Shift from comfort to sacrifice. <clears throat> Paul writing in Romans chapter 12, the very first part of verse 1 says this, So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. In other words, in light of all that God has done for you, the Bible says, give yourselves completely to God. Every part of you. Uh, so that God can use you as a tool in His hands to carry out His good purposes. I find it interesting that the word witness, and we talk about where to be witnesses for Jesus Christ, the word witness in the Greek language is the word martus. We get our word martyr from that word. And, and what that means is there's no sharing without some kind of sacrifice. If you're going to share Jesus Christ, there's going to be sacrifice involved. And if you get serious about fulfilling your life's mission of, of being an on-mission Christian for Jesus Christ, you're going to have to sacrifice. Look at what Jesus says there in Mark chapter 10, beginning verse 29. He says, I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. 
And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. Did you catch that right at the beginning of verse 30? A hundred times. You might want to circle that. Folks, that's 10,000% on your investment. Do you realize that? Man, there is no investment that returns like investing in the kingdom of God. When you and I invest in that, Jesus says there's going to be a 100% return on that. That's a great investment. Do you realize that there's only two things that you're not going to do in heaven? You're not going to sin, and you're not going to share Jesus. Which one of those do you think God has left you here on this earth to do? Well, it certainly isn't to sin, is it? You're here to share Jesus Christ, and He's left you here to tell other people. There's a verse in Acts that is a continual challenge to me. It's Acts chapter 13, verse 36, that simply says, David served God's purpose in his generation. That's my prayer for me. I want to serve God's purpose in my generation. That's my prayer for you. It's my prayer for our church that we would serve God's purpose for Calvary Baptist Church in Elko, Nevada. We'd serve His purpose in our generation. Um, our prayer ought to be that prayer out of Psalm 67 from the, new, uh, from the Living Bible that says, Send us around the world with the news of your saving power and your eternal plan for all mankind. Folks, I want you to know there's no greater joy, there's no greater purpose, there's no greater meaning for life than to give your life so that other people can know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You know what? God needs to lay on the hearts of some of you right here that you're going to be His person. And, And if it takes leaving your job so that you can be a missionary to somewhere else, I pray that God would would just nail you and say, this is what I want you to do. And you would say, yes, Lord. I'll volunteer. It's never too late. Don't don't go on wasting years if God's placed a call in your life. Do what God's calling you to do right now. Paul said, in talking about leading other people to Christ, he says, this is what we live for. It is what we live for that gives us hope and joy. It's our proud reward and crown. It's you. He's talking about his, his, his converts. Yes, you bring us much joy as we stand together before the Lord Jesus Christ when He comes back again for you, our trophy and our joy. You realize that one day, and this is figurative speaking, I mean, you know, so work with me here, okay? But one day we're going to all stand before God. First uh, Corinthians says all of us will give an account to God. Okay, we're going to stand before God, and I think He's going to give us a three-question a three test, okay? First question, what did you do with my son Jesus Christ? And I hope you know the answer to that. I made Him my Savior. I made my Lord. I depended on Him for salvation. And then comes that second question, well, what did you do with what I gave you? He's talking about your spiritual gifts, your ability. <laughs> and I hope that you can say, I used it well to your glory and to your honor. And then comes that third question. And that's simply the question, did you bring anybody with you? Did you care enough about somebody in your world that you've brought them to heaven with you? In other words, folks, is anybody going to be in the heaven in heaven because of you? Is there going to be somebody there? And are you willing to say, Lord, Man, whatever it takes, I want you to use me. My stumbling, fumbling ways, it doesn't matter. God, whatever you want to do. 
Folks, you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a Bible scholar or anything like that. But you do need to share what God has done in your life. This is what God's done for me. Can I tell you about it? The Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everybody's going to be there and everybody's going to be saying Jesus is Lord. Some out of praise and some out of condemnation to admit, yeah, Jesus is Lord and I blew it, you know. More than anything else, I really want to fulfill the purpose that God has has put on my life. I want to fulfill the mission that I've been given by Jesus Christ. Uh, And I want that for you as well. I don't want you to waste your years when God could be using you. To say, God, anytime, anywhere, I want you to use me. If you would do that, I'm going to pray. And I want you to just pray this prayer silent in your heart. To just say yes to God. Whatever you need to do, God, I'm willing to do that. Let's pray and let this be your prayer. Father, today I, I commit myself unequivocally to carry out my life mission. To do the things that I was placed here on this earth to do. I'm not going to waste any more time. I want to be obedient to your great commission to go and to tell people everywhere about the greatest news ever proclaimed. That Jesus Christ died to save sinners. Give me the courage. Give me the power of your Holy Spirit to share my hope with people who are desperately searching for something to to fill that emptiness inside. I am available, and and I'm saying to you, anytime, anywhere, to anyone, I'm willing to be used as an on-mission follower of Jesus Christ. I commit the rest of my life to be a messenger of God's good news to other people, using my time, my talent, my treasure for your kingdom, regardless of where it leads or what it costs. I am yours. Use me. Amen.